This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the JIT Technical Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I'm here with Matt Neerman, a vice president at Schnabel. We're going to be talking about cognitive diversity and how it can have a positive impact on your teams and especially teams for engineering companies. Before we go on here, a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Simpson Strong Tie. Simpson Strong Tie is a building industry pioneer dedicated to helping people design and build safer, stronger homes, structures, and communities. Simpson Strong Tie is making a positive difference for their customers through expert engineering, world-class test laboratories, and unrivaled technical support. We invite you to consider working alongside the many talented, passionate, and humble people who are all contributing to our shared mission in an environment that supports a healthy work-life balance. It's a place where you can connect, create, and build a career. Visit strongtie.com forward slash careers to learn about our culture and why Simpson Strongtie employees are our most loyal customers. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks, Jared. How are you? I'm great. Super glad to have you here. To set the stage, it would be helpful if you could start out by just telling us a little bit more about yourself, talk a little about your background and how that ties into the field of civil engineering. Like, How did you get to where you are right now? I grew up outside Chicago, Chicago suburbs. I was one of seven kids. I was actually the middle child. So I had a four-year gap on either side of me between my siblings and I. So I had a lot of time on my own to do things. I like to make things and build things. When I was about eight years old, my dad built me a sandbox. And this was a big sandbox. He probably put about 10 cubic yards of sand in this thing. So I would go out there all day long, dig big holes, make earth dams, flood it, watch uh, piping develop, I guess. I didn't know what it was, but it was piping. (laughs) I also liked to dig holes. Uh, I had three little brothers, uh, you know, I was trying to capture. So I dig holes, put sticks and branches over the hole, you know, try and catch them. Had a lot of fun doing that. I was very fortunate, you know, to grow up in Illinois. So I was able to attend University of Illinois and get a degree in civil engineering. I stuck around for another year, got a master's in geotech. Then from there, I was very fortunate to come on board at, at uh, Schnabel. And I've been doing design, build, geostructural construction work uh, ever since and having a great time doing it. And I'm currently the uh, vice president of research and development. And then I also manage our equipment function. So let's get into our conversation for today. We're going to talk about cognitive diversity. So first, explain to us what is cognitive diversity and how does that tie to team dynamics? And what is the relevance there? So the word cognitive refers to thinking. So if I say cognitive diversity, I'm really referring to thinking diversity or differences in the way that people think. So like, let's take you and I, we know different things we think different ways and we have different attitudes and values towards life. 
So the two of us, when we're together, we represent cognitive diversity. The two of us together also represent a team. So when we're together, we are this morning, we're the Jared and Matt team, and the success of our team is going to depend on our ability to manage our cognitive diversity. If we can do it really well, then our team is going to be successful. If we can't do it well, then you know we're liable to sort of have big disagreements and sort of fracture and falter you know, along the way as we go here. Now, that's a term that I haven't really heard of much. So I'd be curious to hear you know, what sparked your interest in cognitive diversity and the impact on team performance. Were there some experiences or insights that led you to explore this? Did somebody put this in your lap and say, hey, Matt, figure this out? Like, How did you get there? Okay, so about five years ago, our company reorganized in a way that really emphasizes and relies on teamwork to be successful. And so one of the things we realized pretty early on in this reorganization is that we really needed to dig into the fundamentals of teamwork and build that as a strength of our company if we were going to make this reorganization successful. So that was my motivation to really start looking into the subject of teamwork. I was very fortunate early on around that time, I um, attended a class at Virginia Tech. And this class at Virginia Tech was geared for problem solving, managing teams. And it introduced me to uh, some of the teachings of Dr. Michael Curtin, who's a British psychologist. And he is most well known for developing adaption innovation theory. I'm going to read his description of what adaption innovation theory is. Dr. Curtin refers to it as, quote, a model of problem solving and creativity, which aims to increase collaboration and reduce conflict within groups. So, end quote. In other words, perfect. This is right up our alley. This is all about teamwork. I'm very fortunate at Schnabel to have a lot of leeway in my position to go a lot of different directions. And I think this is true, really, company-wide. We're a company that gives our people a lot of flexibility to go after different things. And so I'm very fortunate to have a boss who does give me that leeway, which is why you have a VP of R&D with a master's in geotech sitting here talking to you about cognitive diversity. So like the Virginia Tech class, was that something that you sought out for and then you found it, you asked for approval, you went and took it? Or is this something that somebody said, well, he's already looking at cognitive diversity, maybe take a look at this. Like, is that something you had to look for? I stumbled across it. My boss, you know, every year, of course, we're always sort of trying to schedule out, hey, what's our continuing education going to look like? What classes are we taking? What outside classes are we taking? That kind of thing. And um, yeah, I really stumbled across the class. It was an email that I, uh, you know, I get thousands of emails. And uh, this was an email that I glanced at, deleted. And then about three seconds later, I thought, you know what? That sort of looked interesting. So... I dragged it out of my uh, deleted items folder and gave it another read through and uh, decided to attend it. So that's sort of, you know, chance. It's great. Your organization encourages that type of exploration and you're allowed to invest in resources, right? <laughs> Time away and then cost for the class. And then um, we'll see what happens, right? And so far, so good, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, when it comes to cognitive diversity within a team, is there a way to measure it or describe it? Like if somebody, it feels like it's 
kind of out there, right? Is the engineering you? How are you measuring whether or not you have it, or it's been an improvement, or how you quantify this? If you're going to try to evaluate or measure diversity of a team, you know you really have to start with the individual. So what I want to present to you now is really a template or a structure for understanding the way people think, the way I think, the way you think, the way other, the way everybody thinks. This is called a cognitive schema. It's an organization chart for your brain. It divides your brain into a couple different areas, three different areas. So the first area of cognitive function is called your cognitive resources. So this is going to be your storehouse of all of the knowledge and experiences, the know-how that you've accumulated over your life. And you've learned things and you've remembered things. When you commit them to memory, they become part of your cognitive resource. So that's the first area. The second area is called your cognitive affect. And cognitive affect is where all of your needs, values, attitudes, and beliefs about the world, about life in general, that's where they reside. And this part of your thought process is very important because this is going to be your, an individual source of motivation. This is where they decide what's important to them and what problems they're going to solve. And so that's cognitive affect. The other third part of your brain that we're going to look at is called cognitive effect. And this is where you get your intellectual level and then your style. Intellectual level is really, that's how smart a person is. It's their IQ. Cognitive style is the way in which a person goes about solving a problem. Another way of describing cognitive style, it is your, an individual's preferred method for using structure in their life. So these are the three areas of individual's brain. This is the cognitive resource, cognitive affect, and cognitive effect. We can categorize that or describe that for an individual. And since we can do that for an individual, when we have a group of people together, we can get an idea of the range of diversity that we have and uh, manage it accordingly. And is that something that changes over time? Like somebody's uh, each of those thirds... The way I am today, am I going to be this way for the next 20 years or is this something that can change over time? So, of course, if you look at cognitive resource, we're constantly learning new things, technical things, but also people-related things, experiences. These are experiences at work, home, hobbies you have. It's everything. That changes with time. Certainly, cognitive resource changes with time. As far as cognitive affect goes, your needs and values, those are somewhat fixed, but they change over time. The things that I value now are have a lot of similarities to what I valued when I was 16 years old. They're also all very different now. <laughs> I have six kids now. My values and my attitudes have changed as a parent. So definitely your cognitive affect will change over time. But a lot of these things are pretty steady for people. These are the things, you know, your parents taught you when you were young. These are things that um, deeply held beliefs towards life. So they do change, but there's also a portion that doesn't. And then the last area, the cognitive effect, where you talk about someone's intellectual level and their style, those things don't really change. You have a certain intelligence level and, and you also have a style. And those two do not change with time. They're constant. So how does cognitive diversity play a role in foster effective teamwork within engineering and construction projects? That's what you know. a lot of folks are listening in. There are projects like that. How does 
work together. First thing you want to do is let's talk about what we mean by effective teamwork. So teams are formed to solve problems that are too big or complicated for one person to solve. That's why you form a team. If you have effective teamwork, then effective teamwork means that that group of people, that team has been able to produce a better outcome than a single person might have been able to produce on their own. That's what we're going to define as effective teamwork, a better outcome or maybe the optimal outcome for a problem. So engineering and construction, lots of big and complicated problems to solve. A lot of great challenges out there. No shortage of that. That's what makes our job fun. When we look at those big and complicated problems, there's a rule of problem solving that applies. And that rule says that diverse and complicated problems require diverse teams to solve them. You're, the diverse team is going to be a well-rounded team. The individuals on that team are going to have different thinking styles. They're going to come at the problem from different angles. They're going to utilize varying amounts of structure to solve the problem. This is where the people have all heard the terms in-the-box thinking or out-of-the-box thinking. That has to do with how much structure you prefer to use in life to solve a problem. So the different team members, you have a diverse team, you're going to have people with those different thinking styles. And then, of course, that diverse team is going to have come into the problem pretty much armed with different life experiences. They might have gone to the same school, got the same degree like you and I did, Jared, but we have very different life experiences, different hobbies. We've met different people along the way. We've learned different things. We've worked on different projects. So we're going to bring all that diversity together, and that's going to increase the likelihood that we come up with either the optimal solution for a problem or something close to optimal for the problem. The great thing when we do that, then the team members are rewarded for the success of the team. They've accomplished something that, you know, as individuals, they never could have done. Cool stuff, really. So when you look at cognitive diversity, it sounds like there are all these benefits, which is great. But are there any trade-offs or challenges that can arise if you work with a cognitively diverse team? If there are, how can these challenges be addressed to ensure smooth collaboration? Certainly. So there's definitely going to be challenges when you bring together a diverse team. These challenges have to do with the fact that anytime you bring two or more people together to solve a problem, you're going to have some amount of conflict is going to arise because those team members think differently. So the same differences that I just talked about that are hopefully will yield the optimal solution for the team, those same differences of thought have the potential to fragment and divide the group. There's always going to be some amount of conflict that's healthy conflict, that's conflict that's focused on solving the main problem that the team has ahead of itself. But when that conflict devolves into conflict that's not helpful to solving the problem, it's become too much. It drags down the team and it limits their effectiveness. There's more energy focused on those internal problems of getting along and who does what than there is with the main problem that you're trying to solve. So there's a few things I want to point out that teams can do to manage this sort of conflict that arises that's not helpful. First thing, of course, it's always helpful to have a good leadership for the team. The good leader is going to, first off, make sure that everybody is aligned on solving the main problem. 
making sure that people understand the main problem we're trying to solve and pulling together those people on the team that everyone is going to have slightly or somewhat different motivations. We talked about that's part of diversity. Everyone has different motivations, but the good leader manages those motivations and helps bring people along to get them focused on solving the main problem that's ahead of the team. So that's first, the leadership component. Second, of course, it's very helpful for that leader and everyone if people on the team have a good understanding of cognitive diversity. They've been exposed to it and it's been told they've learned why it's valuable. So if people on the team have this understanding, they're going to be more likely to be respectful of differences rather than disparaging or criticizing teammates for thinking differently than them. So that's second. And then third, there's a concept, sort of an advanced concept, and the concept is that of withholding diversity. So you've heard me talk about how diversity is great and it's really helpful. There are times in life when it's better for us, it's better for the team to withhold some of our diversity. So when I say withholding diversity, I mean having the judgment as a team member to refrain from contributing ideas, suggestions, opinions, etc., that are not useful at that time to solve the main problem facing the team. So this also might mean setting aside motivations that are not helpful to the team. So in other words, uh, perhaps setting aside an individual goals or individual motivations that don't align or mesh with the team's goal. And remember, the reward for the team member, if they can set aside their personal goals, they're rewarded with the success of the team. The reward will come, but they need to have that judgment and that emotional intelligence, if you will, to be able to set that aside for the greater good of the team. And you touched on some of this, but in your opinion, what are some of the practical solutions and practical strategies to optimize the benefits of cognitive diversity while also mitigating potential conflicts or communication gaps that are team? What I'd really like to do is give the listener something pretty simple to remember about that question. What I want to share is really simple truth, sort of a universal truth about human nature. And this is a sort of a universal truth that'll help maximize teamwork and minimize conflict. So people on a team, they need to feel two things. They need to realize and know that they are part of the team. First and foremost, they're part of the team. And second, not only are they part of the team, but that each person needs to know that they have really a unique and important role for that team. Those two things are very are critical for the team members. And this is where good leadership is required because a good leader will make sure, first of all, he or she will know their people. They will know the profile of cognitive diversity that each individual has. And they will make sure that their people are, first off, on the right team. And once they're on the team, that those people know that they have a unique and important role on that team they are responsible for that they need to do. So when that happens, that team member, that's going to maximize their output. They're going to be happy productive. They're going to like what they're doing. They're going to know they're on the team and they're going to feel valued for their special role. 
So that's going to maximize their output. I talked about minimizing conflict. The other thing that happens is it minimizes conflict because that happy person, that person who's content with what they're doing, they are going to be more tolerant of their team members, perhaps annoying diversities, if you will. They're coming from a happy place. They're going to be more tolerant of their team members. So they're going to be more accepting, more respectful. And as a result, that harmful conflict that detracts away from solving the big problem, that's minimized. That's just a really basic truth about people on teams. They need to know they're part of the team and they need to know that they have a unique and important role on the team. So what are some of the specific techniques uh, and practices that you've implemented within your organization to encourage cognitive diversity and also enhance teamwork? So the first thing we've done, of course, is educate our people, you know, about what cognitive diversity is. Diversity is sort of a hot topic word. Cognitive, people are scratching their heads. What do you mean by cognitive, Matt? You know, so we've done a lot of, you know, whether it be internal webinars or person-to-person uh, -person meetings. So we've really made a push uh, the last few years to increase our people's knowledge of cognitive diversity. This is continuing education. That's never really done. There's always new people joining the team and the people that have been on the team a long time, there's always more you can learn. It's a huge topic and we're, we're just scratching the surface of it. So we've got an emphasis on um, education and training. Another thing we've done is we've implemented some risk reduction techniques that take advantage of cognitive diversity. So for example, let's say we have a proposal going out for a very complicated project. We're gonna make a conscious effort now to bring together a diverse team of individuals with you know different thinking styles, different experiences and so forth. They're gonna come together and review that proposal before it goes out and um, make sure that we've come up with the optimal solution for the client. So that's the second thing. And then a third thing that we're putting in place is this technique of the devil's advocate. And I think most people have heard of a what a devil's advocate exercise is, but basically this is where you ask an individual to provide a critical review of your plan or solution that you've come up with or that the team has come up with. The key word here is ask. So you're literally inviting someone to come in, pick apart your great solution, your great plan. You're inviting, you're asking that person to give you all the reasons why it's going to fail or it might not work. And this isn't always easy to do, but if you can pull it off and if you can do it right, it's a really valuable exercise. I like the key word there is ask because oftentimes you're not asking for feedback and you're getting it and then you're automatically on the defensive because it's like this solution's amazing. Like how can you have a problem with it, right? Exactly. With an understanding of cognitive diversity, that criticism is directed towards the plan and it's not directed towards the person. Yes, and not towards you. Yeah, so the focus and everyone should keep the focus on, hey, this is the plan because remember, we're all here to solve the same problem. We're all here to, you know, come up with the optimal solution. We're not here to make personal attacks or advance one person above someone else. Any final thoughts or key takeaways you'd like to share with the listeners and viewers regarding the significance of cognitive diversity and driving innovation, problem solving, and overall team success? I make it sound easy, perhaps. 
there's no such thing as a free lunch. So managing diversity takes effort, no doubt. It can be so much easier, at least we think, to just forge ahead and do things our way and not involve other people. Bringing in a diverse team, it takes effort, but it's worth it. And it's going to help you generate the optimal solution to your problem. Well, thank you so much, Matt. We're going to come back in just a minute and close this one out with Matt and our Career Factor of Safety End segment. Stick around. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Tensar International. Here's a message from Tensar about their award-winning software, Tensar Plus, which is available to you at no cost. Check out Tensar Plus, the award-winning design software for construction professionals to design with geosynthetics and calculate their value on projects. Tensar Plus is simple to use with a powerful engineering system at its core. It leverages our decades of research and experience with soils all over the world, so you can count on your solutions working the first time, even in the most difficult conditions. Whether you're designing a crane pad or need to build a temporary road over muck, the cost, time, and carbon savings can be calculated, making comparison with alternatives simple. Specs, reports, and product data can be generated for your design, and Training resources, research, and our third-party expert reviews are all provided conveniently in the software if needed. Usable both online and offline, the app is available in browser and on all major mobile platforms. Whatever you're working on, Tensar Plus is your toolbox for success. All right, welcome back. It's time for our Career Factor Safety End segment. In geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your actual career? Today, of course, we're speaking with Matt Nierman of Snobble. Now, Matt, you've already had a very successful career. When you look back on your career, what's something that you've implemented in your career to give yourself, let's call it a factor of safety in your career? When I think of factor of safety, I think of words like redundancy or resiliency, ductility, maybe. I've been with Schnabel for 25 years. They've always given me a lot of opportunities to grow and to learn new things. I've met a lot of people along the way, heard insights from people a lot older and wiser than me. And um, one of the things that's really come through to me is if an individual has an attitude of, I'm never going to stop learning. I am going to get out there. I'm going to try new things. I'm going to increase. I'm not going to get stuck in a rut. I'm going to open myself up to new challenges and um, really actively pursue learning new things. If you have that attitude, you're going to become a very valuable person to the team that you're on. And companies need these types of people on their team because the world changes. Markets change, uh, products change, there's new challenges come our way all the time. If you have that attitude towards learning, and you're a proactive learner, you are going to have a career that is resilient. If you have setbacks or diversions, you never stop learning. You're going to be able to get back on your feet again and keep going. So that's my advice for those of you out there that are looking to implement a factor of safety in their career. Matt, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing all the great insights with us. You shared some great information and advice that I know is going to be helpful for our listeners and viewers. 
So if somebody's watching this, they say, wow, where can I reach out to Matt? Are you on social media? Do you have an email you can share with us? You can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is a lot of fun. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, or questions. Feel free to visit us at geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in this episode, as long as many of the books, resources, and website mentioned during episode 81. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all of your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.